Bible prophesied of a unique time on earth. Israel would be returned to her land, the church would turn to false doctrines, technology would increase, and wickedness and immorality would run rampant. The time spoken of so long ago has come. Join Charlie Garrett as he breaks down these events for us as they unfold each week. Okay, let's see. Today is, what day is it? 4 October. It's 4 October, Sunday, time for the Prophecy Update of the Week. And we got uh, just a couple things to announce. Um, Somebody in Columbus, Georgia, if you're around that area or if you've lived in that area and you know a good Bible-believing church that they could attend. They have uh, they are stationed down there in a military base, and uh, they have not been able to find a good church. So, if you anybody here knows of a good church in Columbus, Georgia, please send me an email, and I'll send it on to them. And then uh, last week, I had a very short visit. I took my four days off for the year and went to Ohio. I was invited up by my friends Bill and Sess. That's his wife, and then we've got Chuck and his wife Karen, and uh, they. Uh, I went up to see them. They've come down to visit several times, the Superior Word, and they asked me, please come up sometime. And because I didn't go to Israel this year, I went ahead and did that. And they're going to be here next week, by the way. So I think they're arriving on the 7th of October, so you get to see all of them. And uh, while I was there, they drove me to Kentucky, and we went to the Creation Museum, Ken Ham's Creation Museum, and then we went to the Ark Encounter. We did it all in one day, which is something I do not recommend for any human on this planet. There's more to do at one of them in two days than, I mean, you could just go on and on. I will tell you, though, I'm not one to go to tourist attractions. I don't like stuff like that. These were so well done. They were really, really well done. They're not touristy. They're nothing like that. They are, if you want to know what the Bible portrays about things, the Creation Museum, they did an excellent job at the Creation Museum. Absolutely marvelous. And the detail was exquisite. Everything that they did was well done. Even from walking into the complex, they have a garden outside. that It was like going to the finest garden I've ever seen anywhere on the planet. I've been to gardens all over the world, and it's just beautiful. This time of year, there were flowers everywhere. It was wonderful. And then the Ark Encounter, which I thought would be kind of touristy, was not very well done. It matches what the Bible says about the ark. Uh, Ken Ham did a great job. Whoever he hired to do all of the uh, the work on it, the detail, the studying, and they're very careful about saying this is what the Bible says and this is artistic license. In other words, we're showing you this. We're just speculating on it. So they they show you the difference between what the Bible says and what has to be you know just inferred by our human brains how they could have lived, how they could have fed the animals and stuff like that. I recommend them. And I got to thank my friends for taking me there. It was wonderful. And then the next day, we went to the U.S. Air Force Museum. And I have to tell you what, I'm an ex-U.S. Air Force. And if you like airplanes, if you like missiles, if you like, you know, the history of air in general, because it goes all the way back to the Wright Flyer, which they have on display it's marvelous. I recommend it to anybody that enjoys that type of thing. You don't have to be Air Force. You you know, if you like submarines, go to a sub base and you're, oh my goodness, you might never have been in the uh, Navy. The same is true with this. They have Air Force Ones that were used in the past on display. They have every bomber that you could possibly imagine. They actually have the boxcar bomber, which dropped the bomb on Nagasaki there. They've got U-2 planes, they've got uh, B-2 bombers, they've got the test planes that went, you know, three, four, five times the speed of uh, sound. 
Every plane that you can imagine had any impact on the history of aviation, they have it there. It, it is just a marvelous place. So that's my recommendation is if you have nothing else to do, I never would have thought of going to Ohio for a vacation. You can go and you'll enjoy yourself, I assure you. Uh, let's see here. Um, I guess that's all of the announcements. Oh, one more thing here. It's in my hands. I don't want to forget this. Somebody sent me a bunch of uh, tracks and uh, magazines and all kinds of stuff, and I cannot read the name that they sent me. But whoever sent this to me, it says Bill and Diana, I think. And then from there, I can't read any more of it. It kind of got messed up in the mail, but I want to thank them very much for sending that and because uh, I can't write them a letter to thank them. But there you go with that. And then our first category, as always, is Israel. And, oh, you know what? One more thing I should say about my trip to uh, Ohio uh, is that I went to John Holler's church while I was up there because the person that I stayed with lives just a couple miles from there, and that is his home church. And it was very sad because the day before I got there, the pastor had died. And so it kind of... Uh, made me think, you know, our lives are short. We don't know when our day is going to come. The guy was only 49 years old, which I was saying on Thursday night at Bible class when I was 25 or 30, I would have said, oh, he had a good long life. And now I'm 56 and I look back and I think the poor guy died young. So, uh, you know, one of the things that I am going to need to do, because it never dawned on me ever until last Sunday while I was sitting in church thinking about it, is that I don't have anybody to replace me. And so at some point, I'm going to need to find somebody that loves the Bible, does not mind going line by line and spending all of their Mondays forever for the rest of their life studying the Word in depth in order to do sermons. Uh, if you know somebody like that and they want to uh, be a, a help here at the Superior Word until I kick off or whatever, then uh, uh, it's needed. And I would ask for people to pray about that because, like I said, it just never dawned on me. You think you're going to live forever and then you see people that we're supposed to preach on Sunday morning, and he's dead on Saturday. So, so you're going to have to start thinking about a, a child ministry. Because there will be no child ministry. We don't even need to talk about that. I, I do not do children here. Um, if children want to come, they can sit in the pews, and they can be just as quiet as everybody else. But I don't do children ministries. That's, uh, as a matter of fact, that was you bring that up. That was one of the things that was really difficult is when I got ordained, all I wanted to do was preach. That's all that I care about is the Word of God. And... Of course, I applied at church after church, and they said, well, you don't have any experience as a preacher or a pastor or anything like that, so we'll hire you as a, a associate pastor for weddings, or we'll hire you for a children's ministry. And I'm sorry, those things don't interest me. I, I, you know what? I'll marry somebody if they want to get married, but all I care about is preaching the Word of God. And so, uh, you know, it's kind of a catch-22. If you don't have experience, you can't get hired, and you can't get hired unless you have experience. And so we went out to the beach for many years and just preached on the beach. And eventually this building came open and here we are. But uh, that's the way it is with the superior word is it's a little differently uh, established and organized than many churches, but no children's ministry. If somebody wants to do that, they can come in here and start a children's ministry and they can, you know, whatever. I will not be a part of that. I, I love children from about 25 feet away. And, you know, my wife raised my two children. She did such a good job. I just stood back and let her do it. So, and now they're grown up and they're 32 and 33 and they're almost at the age where I can have a reasonable conversation with them. So there you go. Okay, from the times of Israel.
Israel joins new regional forum in hope of selling gas to Europe. Okay, this has been ongoing with the gas. They've got a contract to sell to Egypt and Jordan, which involves um, uh, $30 billion or something, $30 million or something. But uh, they've joined this forum now as well. The forum wants to cooperate on the establishment of a natural gas pipeline connecting Israel, Greece, and Cyprus to Italy and on to Europe. We've been talking about this for a year or so, maybe more than that. And the thing about this is that this will interfere with Russia's hopes of having a monopoly over Europe with the natural gas. And so this is a very important article. The eventual aim is to supply the continent with 10% of its gas. That's only an initial thing. I know that'll go up later. The directors general of each member country's energy ministry will now form a working group to take things forward while an advisory committee will be set to include private sector international energy companies. France has applied to join the body and the European Union and the United States are involved as observers. The latter is especially concerned with reining in the power of, here it is, Russia, which last year remained the largest supplier of natural gas and petroleum oils to the European Union. The joint declaration said that the EMGF would contribute to advancing regional stability and prosperity, creating an environment of trust, prosperity, stability, and neighborly relations through regional energy cooperation. Sounds like Kumbaya and Russia's going to not like this. Uh, the forum is open for any East Med country to apply for membership and for any other country, region, or international organization to apply to join as an observer, given that they share the same values and objectives of the EMGF and the willingness to cooperate for the welfare of the whole region. Steinet said the blessing of natural gas had brought regional cooperation with the European Union and Arab countries, there's another clue to what's going on, and that existing Israeli deals worth $30 million to export gas to Egypt and Jordan were only the beginning. So we can see that things are moving along quite rapidly as far as what the end times are showing are going to come, especially from Ezekiel 36 through 39 in that general area. From the Times of Israel, Pentagon head tells Gantz, U.S. will protect Israeli edge as F-35 sales zooms ahead. Now, Gantz is currently, he's the one that's supposed to take over the prime ministership after Netanyahu. Right now, he's the defense minister. And so they're giving him, because he's the defense minister, reassurances that they will maintain their superiority even if F-35s are sold to the Arab countries. And I'll, we'll talk about that more in an article a little bit later as well. The top U.S. defense official told his Israeli counterpart that Washington was committed to maintaining Israel's military edge on the region as the side sought ways to defray Jerusalem's worries over the sale of F-35 jets to the UAE. Now, while I was up in the U.S. Air Force Museum, my friend Chuck came to me and he gave me something. He bought me a gift while I was there and... I'm not a big gift guy, but he gave me an F-35. And so this is what it's talking about right here. And if you are astute after the uh, sermon is given today and you get the question that I've set forth, you may get a ride on my F-35 jet. So we have either a Maserati that you can take home and ride for the week, or you can go on an F-35 jet. But there you go with that. Um, let's see here. The F-35, 
is uh, the Emirates has expressed hopes that the normalization agreement will make it easier to push through the sale of advanced planes, which could impinge on Israel's military edge in the region. The defense relationship between the United States and Israel has never been stronger. We intend to keep it that way, Esper told Gantz. He added that a cornerstone of our defense relationship is preserving Israel's qualitative military edge in the region. Now, that could change. It won't change for one reason that I'll talk about later, but it could change on an administrative level if Biden is elected. And so we want to make sure that when we uh, come to November 3rd, everybody here is going to go out and do what? Vote and vote for Trump. That's right. Okay. We can say that because we're not a 501c3 church and we can say whatever we want. So I'll say it again a couple times. Let's vote Trump. Let's vote Trump. Let's vote Trump. Okay. From, uh, there you go. From Reuters, Israel becomes new obstacle for Sudan in quest to leave U.S. terrorism list. Okay, they're on the terrorism list, and we are now putting Israel in as a reason that we will take them off of that list, okay, from the Times of Israel. Sudan's prime minister rebuffs tying Israel relations with removal from U.S. terrorism list. Sudan has rejected the notion of conditioning its removal from a U.S. terror list on normalizations of relations with Israel, Sudanese Prime Minister Hamdok said. Hamdok said at a conference in Khartoum that he had stressed this point to U.S. Secretary Pompeo during his visit last month. Normalization, he said, required a deep discussion in Sudan's society. The U.S. is pushing Sudan to normalize ties with Israel and follow the lead of the UAE and Bahrain in exchange for a commitment of financial aid and its removal from a U.S. blacklist of state sponsors of terror, which prevents it from receiving foreign funding. The U.S.-Sudanese negotiations held in the UAE earlier this week on normalizing relations with Washington and Israel ended without a breakthrough. So there we go. That was way earlier in the week, and I haven't seen anything on it since. From Ynet, Dubai Soccer Club to sign first-ever Israeli player following peace deal. So they're going to have an Israeli on their team in Dubai. Now, this is important for a reason you may not be thinking of right now. Israel national team midfielder Dia Saba set to sign a three-year contract worth $3 million a season with a UAE side becoming the first ever Israeli player to don the kit of an Arabian Gulf State Sports Club. Okay, in the past, many countries, Malaysia and Iran, etc., had refused in any way, shape, or form to face off with Israelis. Okay, now that was specifically the country of Israel, but we have now an Israeli that is representing the UAE. And so my question is, are they going to refuse to side, you know, show off against the UAE as well? And we'll just have to see where that goes. But this is as much a political thing as it is a sports-related thing. And this is a wonderful thing that happened. These people that keep harping on the peace deal between the UAE and Israel being a bad thing have completely misunderstood what is going on, completely. You know, I had one of my friends send me an email and say that it's almost blasphemous, this peace treaty between these people. I didn't even respond to the email. I'm not going to participate in that type of conversation. This is a wonderful thing that happened, and I'm going to tell you what. 
what is coming against Israel, this is a great buffer for them when those nations come against Israel, just as the Bible said would happen. You've always wondered, how could it be that Saudi Arabia is not going to join in against Israel? How is the UAE and all these other countries not going to join in against Israel when it says right in the Bible that they're not going to do it? How is it going to happen? It's because our president has set this up so that it would align with what the Bible says. It's a wonderful thing. From our Christian News today, I uh, got a video from a guy that uh, watches online. His name is Dr. Nick. And he did a video. It's on Vimeo. And I would recommend that you watch it. And, you know, people always have a question about how do we know that all paths do not lead to God? Okay, Christians say there's only one way. Jesus said it. And, of course, people argue that. You know, how do you defend that? We can defend it from the Bible, but they're saying, well, you're using your source as, you know, justification for that. And what he did, he did a video called How to Be Uploaded to Heaven. And it is brilliant. He takes the gospel and he takes the message of the Bible and he shows us in a way that we can understand from modern technology why certain things will not get uploaded to the cloud. Everybody got that premise? Okay, we can't upload certain things to the cloud unless certain things are done. And he makes an analogy or a comparison of that to our relationship with God. It is really brilliant, okay? It's only seven minutes long, and just as you to be able to help defend yourself in a way when somebody comes at you with this, you can just simply use this as an analogy and say afterwards, this is what the Bible teaches. You're not going to find this in the Quran. You're not going to find it in the writings of Confucius or Lao Tse or any of these other people. You're only going to find it in the Bible, and it corresponds with what this man has come up with, this simple analogy. So I recommend it. Please take a gander at it, and I hope that it'll bless you. I, I thought it was personally brilliant. All you have to do is just type in the, the title. That's right. Type in the title, How to Be Uploaded to Heaven, and we had somebody just do it right now. It came up. So type that in. I think that it will bless you. The video is not high quality. It's got just pictures and stuff in there, but he's got a British accent, which to me is worth a thousand dollars when it comes to, uh, they, they always seem to be able to present things so much better than Americans can. So watch it, enjoy it, and you'll be able to use it to help people that are struggling with that particular issue. And then you can just simply give them the gospel. Okay. From the Christian Post, Chinese textbook rewrites Bible, claims Jesus stoned the woman to death. So this has been going on in China, and they've been pushing their philosophy onto Christianity and onto the Christian text as well as other texts as well. But uh, here we go. A communist textbook that's being used in Chinese schools falsifies the biblical account found in John 8, 3 through 11. The textbook claims that Jesus murdered the woman who was found in adultery and said he, too, is a sinner. The textbook, published by the government-run University of Electronic Science and Technology Press, states, The crowd wanted to stone the woman to death as per their law. But Jesus said, Let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Hearing this, they slipped away one by one. When the crowd disappeared, Jesus stoned the sinner to death, saying, I too am a sinner. But if the law could only be executed by men without blemish, the law would be dead. The news of the distortion of the Bible in the Chinese textbook comes as the Vatican and China are expected to review a deal on the appointment of Catholic bishops in China. The U.S. has advised Pope Francis against it due to the severe violation of human rights and the religious freedom in the communist country. Bitter Winter noted the subtle objective behind manipulating the textbook. 
The story teaches that the law and the Chinese Communist Party are good and pure and transcend the impure human beings who happen to represent them. Even if the officers are corrupted, their decision should be accepted because honest or corrupted, they represent the party and the party's law should never be questioned, the magazine writes. So you see what they're doing is they're equating the law of Moses with the Communist Party and that Jesus was a sinner, but he upheld the law just like the communists should uphold the Communist Party principles. You see what they've done there. It's very devious and cunning, but these people are being brainwashed into this, you know, one one step at a time. From the Christian Times, Bible study app users increase tenfold during the pandemic. Word Go, created by the Bible Study Fellowship, which I did not check out Word Go. I can't give you a recommendation on it. I'm just reading the article. Is a free app offering two and six week long Bible courses that combine scripture readings, questions, study notes, and audio teachings. The app saw 1,000% increase in users between January and July of this year, with three quarters of users being female. Unfortunately, that's the way it is with everything. We have missionaries overseas, and they're all like, females. Men are falling out and they are not upholding their obligation within the homes anymore and they're not doing it in the churches either. Charlie, yes. This is Bible Study Fellowship Okay, I got a recommendation that it is a good Bible study highly and recommended. highly recommended by them. They just held up their uh, their phone and they have it right there. They say it's a good Bible study. Once again, I haven't seen it, so I'm not going to recommend it, but I can say that they recommend it and they are very strong Christians, so we'll leave it at that. Um, Simon Lennox, director of Word Go, said the app could help create a sustainable daily rhythm of reading the Bible. With the, which I am not opposed to in any way, shape, or form. Everybody should read the Bible every single day of their life, first thing in the morning, last thing at night, and all day throughout the day. With the pandemic stripping away our social interactions face-to-face, there has never been a better time to grow the community aspect of church. A recent study by the American Bible Society pointed to a huge opportunity for the church to boost scripture engagement. The state of the Bible study found that scripture engagement had declined during lockdown, suggesting that many Christians struggle to engage with the Bible outside of a formal church service setting. While in 2019, over a third of U.S. adults, meaning 35%, said that realistically they never used the Bible outside of a large church service or mass, by June of 2020, the proportion had fallen to 31%. So we're going down in our use of the Bible outside of church. And I would say that if you were sitting here watching this prophecy update and you're not reading your Bible every day, you should not be watching this prophecy update. You should be reading your Bible for the hour that you are neglecting it. Okay. I mean that sincerely. You need to read your Bible because there are 10,000 prophecy update people out there now, and most of them do not know their Bible. Hence, I mentioned one a couple weeks ago and I got slathered for it. I don't care. If somebody is teaching a false gospel, if somebody is not holding to teaching the word properly in the proper dispensation, the proper context, you need to know your Bible so that when they say nonsense like that, you are at least aware of it and you can say, I know this is wrong. I need to find out why it's wrong. I I have read my Bible and I'm not sure where to find it, but somebody can help me. I'm going to email Charlie Garrett and I will tell you where to go in your Bible to find out where that is wrong. But if you're not reading your Bible right now, you should not be watching one prophecy update during the week. Not one. Okay? Every day read your Bible. You cannot know God. 
It is impossible to know God apart from general revelation without knowing Jesus Christ. And you cannot know Jesus Christ in any way, shape, or form without knowing your Bible. It is impossible. So if you think that you're learning theology and you're all in the know because you sit and watch 400 Prophecy Updates a week, you are self-deluded. That's all there is to it. You must read your Bible in order to know what's going on in this world and to know when somebody says something that's obviously completely wrong in a church service or on a prophecy update. From Fox, you can tell I'm upset about this. I mean, reading that just makes me angry that 33% or 31% of the people out there now have any engagement at all with their Bible. And probably it's five minutes a day when they're doing something that... Anyway, Fox News, Justice Department calls on San Francisco to end draconian coronavirus rules for houses of worship. Does anybody know what they are in San Francisco? You're not going to believe it. The Justice Department called on San Francisco Mayor Breed to increase the allowable capacity in houses of worship, accusing the city of impeding on religious freedom amid the coronavirus. In a three-page letter, Assistant Attorney General and U.S. Attorney of the Northern District of California called San Francisco policy of allowing just one congregant inside at a time draconian. One congregant. The letter acknowledged the city has the obligation to protect its residents from the deadly virus, but there is no pandemic exception for the U.S. Constitution. Even in times of emergency, when reasonable, narrowly tailored, and temporary restrictions may lawfully limit our liberty, the First Amendment and federal statutory law continue to prohibit discrimination against religious institutions and religious believers. These principles are legally binding, and the Constitution's unyielding protections for religious worshipers distinguish the United States from places dominated by tyranny and despotism. The letter said the one worshiper at a time order gives no reasoned explanation why it's one size fits all limit on indoor religious gatherings, regardless of size, is necessary or appropriate. The Justice Department said the city's restriction give preferential treatment to places like barber shops, nail salons, massage locations, tattoo parlors, gyms, shops, and even child care facilities, which can have up to 12 children indoors, even though children in a child care center are together in an enclosed space for much longer than those attending a typical religious service. They wrote the rules plainly discriminate against people of faith and their ability to gather and practice their faith at churches, synagogues, mosques, and other houses of worship. Put simply, there is no scientific or legal justification for permitting a 20,000 square foot synagogue to admit only one worshiper while allowing a tattoo parlor to accommodate as many patrons as it can fit in so long as they're six feet apart. So there you go. That's what's going on in San Francisco, and it is a crime. Now, I'd like to ask you a question about something. What is it that we have in our nation that guarantees that we can have freedom of religion, freedom of speech, and freedom of the press and all of those things? What is it? What? The First Amendment gives us those freedoms, but that is not what ensures we have those freedoms. Not the, Well, the Second Amendment enforces it by the people. It enforces it. That's correct. I've said that many times, is that the First Amendment is the most important amendment in principle. The Second Amendment is the most important amendment in practice. That's right, and that's why we have that. But what is it that makes our ability to have these freedoms possible. And it is not the amendments. 
No. No. The separation of powers. That is what allows that to happen. I was watching, my friend sent me a video from Antonin Scalia that was saying exactly that. Russia has an amendment, you know, the amendments, the Bill of Rights, just like we do. Every communist government on this planet does. But it doesn't mean anything because they have consolidation of power. Here we have a separation of powers, and that is what makes it possible for us to have these rights. And if we lose that in this nation... Then we are, which we are losing through an abusive Supreme Court or a court system, then we will lose these rights. And that's being seen right now in the coronavirus. So make sure that when you support your First Amendment, that you understand that that First Amendment is there because different entities in government have control over different parts of the government and not one control over all. Okay, very interesting pr concept. I had never thought of it until this past week, thanking Bob for sending that on to me. Um, one thing before we leave the Christian category is that we have had some people in the church now for almost a full month. They came all the way from Arkansas, and they're leaving tomorrow, and they're going to be missed greatly. So, John and Kathy, we hope that you'll have a safe drive back. Send me an email so I know you're safe, and uh, please come back soon. It's been wonderful having you guys here, okay? All right, on to Islam today from the Times of Israel. Sudan reportedly requesting billions in aid in exchange for ties with Israel. So I told you I was going to talk about another side of this argument. Sudanese officials reportedly requested 3 to $4 billion in aid in exchange for normalizing relations with Israel during negotiations with U.S. officials. Sudan's Lieutenant General Al-Burhan, its de facto leader, held talks in the UAE with U.S. and Emirati officials. During the talks, Sudan turned down an offer of $800 million in aid and investments as a part of an exchange for a deal with Israel. Most of the sum would have been paid by the U.S. and UAE, with Israel paying around $10 million. Sudan is also asked to be removed from the U.S. list of state sponsors of terror, which U.S. US officials said they are willing to do. The designation prevents Sudan from receiving foreign funding, contributing to its ongoing financial crisis. Sudan is now seen by U.S. officials as the most likely candidate to follow the lead of the UAE and Bahrain, which normalized ties with Jerusalem earlier this month. But the financial aid package has emerged as a stumbling block in the talks. The Walla News site previously reported that Sudan was asking for oil and wheat shipments worth about $1.2 billion to cope with recent devastating floods, a $2 billion grant to deal with Sudan's economic crisis, and a commitment of economic support from the United States and the UAE over the next three years. Israel officials have long expressed a wish for better relations with Khartoum, citing its importance in the region as well as its geographic location. And so that's kind of interesting. They're bartering. But who else would be doing this except Donald Trump? Everybody else would just be throwing things at him and it would be done. Instead, we're negotiating. He is the master of the negotiations. And we'll see how this pans out. I have no idea. But down in that area, Sudan, Ethiopia, some of them are going to come against Israel during Gog Magog. So we're just going to have to wait and see how it all pans out. But at least they're working on these things together. From the Times of Israel... U.S. ambassador, it will take six to seven years for the UAE to get F-35 jets. So we just saw that they said that they will not get ascendancy over Israel as far as military applications. Now we're seeing that it's going to take at least six to seven years for them to get the 
F-35 jets. Here we go. We're flying along. We've got Israel with air supremacy right now, okay? But eventually the UAE may get them, but after six or seven years, Israel will have upgraded all of their avionics. They'll have so many uh, improvements over them that UAE will never catch up to it anyway. U.S. Ambassador to Israel David Friedman said it would likely take six to seven years before the UAE receives the F-35 stealth fighter jet under a contentious proposed arms sale that has raised concern in Israel over its potential to damage the country's military edge in the region. The Emirates have been trying to get the F-35 for six or seven years. The delivery time is probably another six or seven years from now. If they got approval to purchase the aircraft, though not formally a part of a recently signed U.S. brokered normalization agreement between Israel and the UAE, the sale of the F-35s is widely seen as having been contingent upon Abu Dhabi's acceptance of the deal with Jerusalem. Now listen to this. I alluded to it earlier. Here it is. Under a 2008 law and a decades-old policy, the U.S. is prohibited from making arms sales to countries in the Middle East if the Pentagon determines that doing so would damage Israel's so-called qualitative military edge. So by law, Biden can't come in and give a preference to a Middle East nation outside of Israel. He cannot do it because the law is written. So that's an important thing that I was unaware of. But knowing that now, they can still cause all kinds of problems for Israel if they want to. So do not vote for Biden. Do not vote for him. Okay, Democrats vote for Donald Trump. To, What's Democrats that? Democrats listen to laws? Democrats do not listen to laws, but they are constrained by the laws. So there is a difference there. From Israel Hayom, Arab funding for Palestinian Authority down 85 percent in 2020. Yes, I think this is a good thing because we cut them out completely, like $300 million a year, and now 85% of their funding from the Arabs is down. They are going to start wanting to negotiate and stop blowing up Israelis and so on. Arab aid for the Palestinian Authority plummeted by 85% in 2020. Well, in the first seven months of 2019, Ramallah received $267 million from Arab states. This year's figure was a mere $38 million. Coupled with the slump and other foreign funding, this has resulted in PA's coffer shrinking by some 70%. While the decline comes amid the coronavirus pandemic, the report noted that Palestinian Authority officials suspect it could be linked with the recent normalization accords between Israel and two Arab states. Palestinian Authority Foreign Minister Riyad al-Maliki was cited as saying that Arab states have failed to live up to the decision to provide Ramallah with financial safety net of some $100 million, ratified at various summits. According to the Arab News, President Trump told Prime Minister Netanyahu that he urged the wealthy Arab nations to slash the funding for Palestinians. Earlier this week, the Palestinian Authority resigned its current chairmanship of Arab League meetings, condemning as dishonorable any Arab agreement to establish formal ties with Israel. Palestinians see the accords with the UAE and Bahrain signed with Israel in Washington a week ago as a betrayal of their cause. <laughs> the Palestinian Authority was supposed to chair Arab League meetings for the next six months, but Foreign Minister Riyadh al-Maliki told a news conference in Ramallah that it would no longer hold the position. So there you go. Good stuff. President Trump is doing the right thing in doing everything he's doing and forcing the hands of the Arabs on this particular issue. From Mongolia, 
Now, last week I brought up a cuckoo. Remember that? Last week? Yes. Or two weeks ago. Last prophecy update that I did. Okay. From the India Times. Cuckoo covers a distance of 3,500 kilometers from India, where he was two weeks ago, to Yemen. 3,500 kilometers in a little over two days. That is a crazy cuckoo. I'm going to tell you what. The one particular bird is called Onon, the same one that we talked about, named after a Mongolian river. It came to Rajasthan on September 24th, covering a distance of 5,426 kilometers after crossing the borders of three countries. We talked about that. The very next day, Onon was found over the Arabian Sea. He flew nonstop 1,553 miles. In two days, Onon reached Yemen from India. According to Birding Beijing, it looks as if he is taking a breather in southern Yemen after his marathon crossing of the Arabian Sea. Imagine that. A little bird this big. What God has designed and what he has done. And, you know, we bring in things like this and it sounds funny and whatever, but you think of what God has done. The glory of God to be able to do this type of thing. All right. Daniel 12 technology. Military news. Revealed. U.S. Air Force has secretly built and flown a new fighter jet. So this is now obsolete, folks, because they've got the most uh, current thing out there, and now it's obsolete because they've got a new fighter jet that nobody was even aware of. It's very interesting how they came about with this, too. The USAF's disclosure that it is secretly built and flown a prototype fighter jet could signal a shift in how the military buys weapons and who builds them. Will Roper. The head of Air Force Acquisition revealed the existence of the new jet, which he said was a part of the service's Next Generation Air Dominance, or NGAD, project. NGAD right now is designing, assembling, testing in the digital world, exploring things that would have cost time and money to wait for physical world results. NGAD has come so far that the full-scale flight demonstrator has already flown in the physical world. It's broken a lot of records in the doing. Roper provided no more details about the jet, which is presumed to be the Pentagon's first attempt to build a sixth-generation tactical aircraft after the fifth-generation F-22 and F-35 jets. But he said that digital design technology used to build the new plane could increase competition and increase the number of American military jet makers. The reason why is because before, one guy or one company would do all of this work and they would have a monopoly over it because you can't just farm it out like that. Now it's done digitally and they can say, we want you to make the ailerons, we want you to make the engine, we want you to do this and one to do that. So you can spread it out to a lot of smaller companies and you're not reliant on one company like Boeing or Lockheed Martin anymore, which will one, save a bunch of money, and two, it will take care of the problems of economic goings down where you might lose a big company and no longer have to bail them out. You just say, well, we got somebody else who can take care of that problem. Okay, it's a very good thing they're doing. Um, but he said the digital design technology used to build the new plane could increase competition and increase the number of American military jet makers. Digital engineering is lowering overhead for production and assembly. So you do not have to have huge facilities, huge workforces, and expensive tooling. It is letting us take aircraft assembly back to where we were in the 1970s and prior to it, back when we had 10 or more companies who could build airplanes for the USAF, because you could do it in a hangar-like facility with small but very good teams of engineers and mechanics. 
He said part of the reasoning for disclosing the existence of a test aircraft was to prove to naysayers that combat aircraft could be fully designed and tested on computers before they're physically built, much like the way Boeing and Saab built the T-7 pilot training jet in recent years. In addition to the NGAD and the T-7, Northrop Grumman is using digital design and testing in building new ICBMs, and it's also being used on the two new satellite projects. Going back to the Air Force Museum that I was at, in the middle of Hangar 3 and 4, there's four hangars that are the size of Montana, each one of them. They're huge. And in between hangars three and four, they have, you walk through it, it's a circular area, and it's got all these missiles that they have had, the Titans and the Deltas. And I'm telling you, they go up, and you're looking up, and your neck hurts looking up at these things, and they're all inside. They're massive around there. And yet the funny thing is, I'd never given any thought. You got these jet airplane engines, and they've got them all over. They've got the jet, and they have the engine next to it to show you, you know, what the engine of that jet looks like. And these jet engines are massive, right? The engines on a missile are teeny. All they are, you got all the fuel up in this, this big thing, and then you've got a channel where it has to go in, you know, like this, and then from there it goes into this little thing that just ignites the fuel and off it goes. So those things that you see, the cones at the bottom of like the, the Challenger, they're up above, just a, or they're down below, just a very small little engine. You would think it's a big engine that sends them up. It's not. It's really impressive to go to the Air Force Museum. I recommend it highly. Have I said that already? Okay. From Revelation Plagues, from MSN, Brazilian city ravaged by coronavirus reached herd immunity in just months, study finds. Ooh, the city of Manaus, with a population of over 2 million, was one of the worst hit cities for COVID-19 cases in Brazil. No lockdown was implemented and no major steps were taken to limit the spread of the virus. Now, if they had known, they could have said all old people and people with, uh, you know, defects in their, their health stay home. They didn't do that, so a lot of people died. But the idea is that if they had done that, they would have had almost no deaths at all. But here we go. Uh, the first case was reported there in the middle of March. Within two months, hospitals were overwhelmed and the death rate was far above the average for Brazil. Now, an international team of researchers has assessed the proportion of the population in Manaus that was infected with coronavirus at its peak and how cases fell in the aftermath, concluding herd immunity had been achieved. The state of Amazonas, in which Manaus is the capital, had a death rate of 19.4 per 100,000 compared to 4.4 for Brazil as a whole. Now, these numbers are kind of hard to know what's going on because you can compare that to the U.S. and it would actually be less in the U.S. or more, whatever. But that could be for a week. It could be for a month. It could be for the whole time. They don't say. And so I don't want you to focus on that particular set of numbers. All right. In August, researchers noticed the fall in cases in Manaus and suggested herd immunity may have played a role. The team found transmission of SARS COVID-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, increased quickly between March and April. It then declined between May and September, despite no measures being taken to slow the spread. They said that while there may have been a change in behavior among the city residents that helped limit transmission, the unusually high infection rate suggests that herd immunity played a significant role in determining the size of the epidemic. And here Israel is gone and locked down again. Minimum of 30 days, and they may be, he said, if we have to, we'll lock down for a year. 
Let's ruin our economy over something that can be taken care of with just simple measures of people that are, you know, susceptible to it, staying home and staying out of the public. That's all you need to do. That sounds like science. That sounds like science, and I'm sorry, it, it's not. This is, we don't, science means you have to check with Bill Gates first, and you didn't, so please be quiet, okay? From Zero Hedge, Sweden. Sweden, who has, you know, they've achieved herd immunity. They have no lockdown. They're out and free. Nobody's wearing masks. Well, unfortunately, they have another problem. Sweden dominates drug deaths in Europe. As highlighted by the latest edition of the European Drug Report, Sweden is the country with the most drug-induced deaths per million of the population in Europe. In 2018, 81 people per million died ahead of the UK's 76 drug-induced deaths per million. Finland and Ireland jointly had the third highest death rate with 72 deaths per million. As tragic as these figures are, Statista's Neil McCarthy notes that they pale in comparison with the toll of America's opioid crisis. In 2018, the U.S. experienced 314.5 drug-related deaths per million of its population. And it lost more inhabitants to drugs than the next 20 countries combined. So as bad as Sweden is with their problem, America has got the big problem in the world of people taking drugs. And it all starts with, let's allow marijuana first. And then from one thing goes to another and to another. We've got out in Oregon and even in California, they're talking about any drug. Let's just make it not uh, illegal. You can take anything you want, anytime you want. We're killing ourselves in this country. From CBS Local, Arlington fourth grader sent home from school after sneezing. Yes, that's a revelation plague there. For morality today, independent, Trump administration threatens to axe funding to schools allowing trans children to compete in sports. Good job. The U.S. DOE has threatened to withhold school funding from Connecticut school districts over a state policy that would allow transgender children to compete against those that correspond to their gender identity in sports. The move would withhold $18 million in funding from schools, which was allocated to help schools desegregate. The DOE's Office for Civil Rights determined in May that the state policy violated the civil rights of those who are not transgender. Following the determination, the department warned officials in three Connecticut school districts that desegregation grants would not be released on October 1st. I wonder if they were. I haven't seen any more articles on it. Unless they cut ties with the Connecticut Interscholastic Athletic Conference, which issued the transgender policies. So we'll see where that goes. Maybe we'll see something this week. But thank goodness for having President Trump in the office. Thank goodness, because none of this would have happened if he was not elected. In fact, we'd be in 10 times the worst shape that we're in right now. From Did I uh, say this earlier? I think everybody here should vote Trump on November 3rd. From the, again, vote Trump? Oh, okay. From the New York, you say that again, I'll have to say it again. This is the third time. Vote Trump. Okay, there we go. Thank you, Linda. Uh, from New York Post, California passes law to house transgender inmates by gender identity. Yeah. So when you get booked now in California, you can pick your gender and you go where they send you. Yes, the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation houses men and women in separate facilities. Transgender inmates are often housed based on their sex assigned at birth. 
Advocates say this is dangerous, especially for transgender women housed in facilities for men. The law Newsom signed say officers must ask inmates privately during the intake process if they identify as transgender, non-binary, or intersex. Those inmates can then request to be placed in a facility that houses either men or women. Guess where people are going to do it? I mean, obviously. The law says the Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation cannot deny those requests solely because of inmates' anatomy, sexual orientation, or a factor present among other inmates at the facility. But, and guess what? The state can deny those requests if it has management or security concerns. Okay, so you can deny it, but here's how you have to go through the process to get a denial. If a request is denied, the state must give the inmate a written statement explaining the decision and give the inmate a meaningful opportunity to object, which will never happen. So that means they're going to go where they want. And California is going to have rapes in prisons just like they've had in England in the past because these people are insane, literally. From the Epic Times. Trump to sign executive order to protect babies that survive abortion. Imagine that. We have to have a law signed by the president to do. Actually, it's not even a law because Congress refused to do this like eight times. They brought it up and they would not have anything to do with it. And so our president now has to sign an executive order to make this come about. President Trump announced that he plans to sign an executive order aimed at mandating medical care is provided to babies that survive abortion. From Weasel Zippers, Joe Biden promises to make U.S. taxpayers pay. You must pay for gender reassignment surgery under his health care plan. Once again, vote Trump. From Fox, cream of wheat, cream of wheat, removing black chef. Oh, vote Trump. Yes. Okay. Cream of wheat, removing black chef from packaging following branding review announced in June. I mentioned it in June. They had the review and they decided that they cannot have him on the cover. And so what I I meant to do it this morning, I was at Publix and I forgot. I'm going to buy any cream of wheat that has him on there. And that's the last cream of wheat I'm ever going to buy. And my mom knows that's one of my favorite things on the planet. I love cream of wheat. I don't eat it often because it's winter time. But you take cream of wheat and uh, brown sugar. I'm telling you, that is like going to heaven. I, I don't know what it's like going to heaven, but if I could imagine it, that might be it. Anyway, if they still have him on the picture, I will buy some. But as much as I love it, I'm just not going to play these PC games. I have never gone back to Panera. I've never gone back to Chili's and all of these places that say, don't bring your gun. Not going to do it. But there you go. Cream of wheat. One of my old favorites growing up. Mom would make it on those cold mornings and it would be so good. Ooh, wow. Or other category. From Zero Hedge. Is Trump, this is a great article. I want you to know I had to pare it way down. It's very long even now, but it's a great article. I cut a lot out. If you want to read the whole thing, you just have to go and read the whole thing. It's from 922. I wanted to wait and see if I could find anything about it later to add to it. I did, and so I put it in. Is Trump using JCPOA, meaning the Iran agreement, to break the United Nations before it breaks him? Trump and Pompeo have been very active across Europe, rewriting the U.S. troop deployment map there to pressure Russia into signing new INF and START treaties under the threat of U.S. expanded deployments in Poland, which we've been talking about for the past many months. Is this just more aggressive posturing by Trump? We'll see. 
I remain convinced that a lot of his foreign policy blundering, as Philip Giraldi called it recently, is part of his purposefully blowing up the old order between the United States and Europe. Now that it's clear to me, the globalist goal of great reset involves destroying the United States and moving the center of Western power to the European Union. Trump is the only one that's keeping this from happening. Martin Armstrong shifted his analysis of the current push by the global elite, I call the Davos crowd, in an important post stating that the goal of this push was to bring about the rise of the United Nations to the status of world government during the next period of history. The stated goal? Bring on the Green New Deal to save all of us from climate change. The real goal? the concentration of power into the hands of an unelected bureau of technocrats. And it may start as early as 2021 with the need to cancel sovereign debt as the next phase of the financial crisis creeps up on us. That debt will be defaulted on by converting them into perpetual bonds as promoted by none other than George Soros himself. Eventually, they'll give the UN tax and spend authority through MMT and, most likely, through the IMF, who will provide the capital to make the conversions akin to the power just accreted to the EC in their COVID-19 relief package described breathlessly by a truly clueless and complicit media as Angela Merkel's Alexander Hamilton moment. But it seems now that the greater strategic play from the beginning was to curtail the UN and disengage the United States from all of the post-World War II institutions put in place by the people whose descendants are fighting tooth and claw to stop his re-election and effect their apotheosis. So... It's becoming clear that he does understand how deeply the American people are being sold down the river to global totalitarian government, and he's not having any of it. That's why he pulled funding from the World Health Organization. It's why he's putting the UNSC in a bind over the snapback sanctions on Iran. It's why he refuses to give an inch on Nord Stream 2. That's the pipeline from Russia down into Europe. Is pulling troops out of Germany while simultaneously telling the Russians to accept the START and INF treaties without any commitments to NATO pulling back from its borders. Trump understands just how big the problem he's taking on is. He lacks any sense of tact or diplomacy. I'll agree with that. Understanding only blackmail, extortion, and the big ask as negotiating tools. It won't win him any friends at all, nor will it win him the respect and trust of those he needs to cut new treaties and deals with, for example, Russia and China. Telling the Russians that a new nuclear arms race is acceptable because he refuses to back away from any restrictions on putting nuclear weapons in Europe is pure insanity. I agree with that, but Trump has a means and a method. While the Kremlin has yet to comment on Billingsley's offer, a Russian senator called it outrageous, suggesting that it won't go down well in Moscow. One doesn't act this way if one wants to achieve actual results. Senator Oleg Morozov from the Foreign Affairs Committee of Russia's upper house said in response, it's like saying, give me your gun and the gun of your neighbor or I will shoot you in the head. And he's not wrong. So in looking at this situation dispassionately, Knowing that Trump has avoided new wars to date, even when any other U.S. presidents would have done so, we have to look at this and ask if there is a bigger game at play here. 
Trump will cut a deal with the Russians over the new arms race. He won't risk nuclear war with them over Syria, Ukraine, Belarus, or Nord Stream 2. Putin won't give an inch on these places, nor will sanctions stop him from selling arms to Iran to solidify its ability to stop any further regime change operations emanating from Trump's out-of-control State Department. Trump today is pushing Russia on all of these fronts, simultaneously hoping to create leverage when he goes for his real goal, undermining the United Nations and the European Union. Trump has embroiled himself in a chaotic mess of interlinked skirmishes with all the major players of the world. He likes to operate in chaos because that's how you keep your opponent off balance, leaving them vulnerable to make a mistake while he keeps his eye on the thing he's wanted all along. And in this case, it is to restore the United States sovereignty, which he said right when he came into office in his inauguration speech, from the hands of people who are dead set on destroying it. And he wants this in the worst way imaginable. And unfortunately, that's usually exactly how he goes about it. Well, I heard, I read that and I thought, I'm going to save that and we're going to see if I can find anything else. And what happened on 928, six days later, Politico, Trump administration orders assessment on bolstering nuclear warheads as talks with Russia stall. Exactly what this guy was saying was going to happen. Guess what Trump does? The Trump admin has asked the military to assess how quickly it could pull nuclear weapons out of storage and load them onto bombers and submarines if an arms control treaty with Russia is allowed to expire in February according to three people familiar with the discussions. The request to U.S. Strategic Command in Nebraska is part of a strategy to pressure Moscow into renegotiating the new Strategic Arms Reduction Treaty before the U.S. presidential election. That may not happen, but it will come about. He's not a stupid man. He doesn't want us in a nuclear war, but he is pressuring them by doing this openly, where the whole world knows it. I love our president. I love everything that he has done so far, and I can't find any fault in what he's done because he's doing the right thing for the United States, and he's also doing the right thing for Israel. I can't find fault in that. He may be a Christian. He may not be a Christian. That's not my choice. That's between him and the Lord. But he is doing the right things for the Christians in this nation, for the borders of this nation, for the good of this nation, and for the good of those nations that want to come alongside and not be a part of the one world government that is being pushed on this world. Amen. He's the only one that's standing in the way of it right now, and we've got to keep him in prayer until the last day. Biden thinks he's Vote Trump. That's my mother over there. What makes you want to do that? Why would you want to do that? What's that? I said Biden thinks he's stupid. Oh, yeah. Well, Biden is a... <laughs> Mail online. Okay. Fury as New York City officials reveal plans to permanently move hundreds of homeless men into the Radisson Hotel near Wall Street from the Upper West Side. The Upper West Side people complained when he moved them there, so now he's moving up to the financial district. After residents complained, they were taking drugs and urinating in the streets. I reported on that one, so de Blasio's great idea now is to move them out of one place and move them to a more expensive place. All right, New York City officials announced a plan to transfer roughly 300 homeless men out of the, I can't pronounce it, Lucerne, Lucerne, whatever, hotel on the Upper West Side. The men will be moved to a Radisson hotel in the financial district that is being turned into a permanent shelter. The decision came weeks after protests from Upper West Side residents complaining of drug use and people urinating in the streets. The city is now facing new criticism from financial district residents worried about the same problems plaguing their own neighborhoods. Just move the problem, move it, move it, move it. From the AP, 
New York Police Department should stop making traffic stops, Attorney General says. No more traffic stops for the police over there. And listen to their logic as to why. New York's Attorney General, we got a retired New York Police Department officer here, so he's listening with his ears up right now. New York's Attorney General recommended the New York Police Department get out of the business of routine traffic enforcement. A radical change, she said, would prevent encounters like one last year in the Bronx that escalated quickly and ended with an officer fatally shooting a motorist. Letitia James, who acts as a special prosecutor appointed to investigate certain police killings, argued that the traffic stops for minor infractions often end in violence and that Alan Feliz's death last October after he was pulled over for a seatbelt violation further underscores the need for this change. James's office concluded that the New York Police Department's use of deadly force was justified. The guy got out and he probably pulled a gun on him and he shot him and they say, well, that doesn't matter. It's the what brought it about in the first place, okay? It was justified, but that the sequence of events leading to Feliz's death would never have happened if police hadn't stopped him in the first place. So you see somebody robbing an old woman and you say, if I go over there and he gets killed, then that would be a problem. So I'm going to let him rob the old woman. That's the mentality of this, okay? It says, police further heightened tensions by attempting to arrest fleas on outstanding warrants for low-level offenses such as spitting, littering, and disorderly conduct. If police officers are to remain involved in traffic enforcement, James's office said, the police department should drop a policy that encourages officers to arrest any motorist who is found to have an open warrant. So you got a warrant to arrest the guy, you're not supposed to arrest him. Ah, instead, drivers with open warrants should be arrested only with a supervisor's approval. So you got to get him to come down and sign some paperwork if an officer had reasonable cause to believe they were a danger to the community. I, I just can't understand how we can allow this in this nation. I literally can't understand it. Zero Hedge. Governor Cuomo threatens to send in National Guard to pick up trash as New York City garbage crisis worsens. So we're going to have the... National Guard go in and pick up garbage. CBS Local. Yeah, clean up the whole city. CBS Local. Times Square, New Year's Eve ball drop will be virtual. So you have to stay at home and watch it on TV because nobody's allowed to go outside there. And they know that all the way through New Year's. You you guys are going to stay inside. From Fox. Gun sales skyrocket 80% in battleground states. People are worried. 80% Trump team from the Trump team paycheck protection pushed by Trump White House saved over 200,000 black owned businesses. Zero hedge U.S. new home sales surge in August to highest since 2006. That's a long time ago from zero hedge virtually insane. 12 year old Louisiana boy is suspended after BB gun spotted in his room by his teacher. So you got to be begun in your room. They are now monitoring the inside of your home if you're in school. That is crazy. Okay, got a less work here for you. The cops are most likely dismayed about those that seek justice betrayed. Seems there's such an abhorrence about acting on warrants, not doing so is dumb, I'm afraid. Good job. Okay, got one irony. There have not been many ironies lately. I've got to start cutting back because if I get ahead of myself we won't have an irony so I got one irony something's fishy 
Two men are hit with felony charges for cheating in Utah fishing contest after forensic analysis of winning fish proved it came from another lake. Yeah, that's kind of bad. Such is the world we live in. So from Sarasota, Florida to Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia, I'm Charlie Garrett. This is The Superior Word, and that is your Prophecy Update for the week.